before I spoke. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me.
Thank you for loving us first, God. We love you back in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! That'll wake you up. Who needs coffee? Thank you, guys. Thank you to all of the worship teams. Uh, yeah. The worship leaders. And, you know, we see uh, them lead worship. But what goes into uh, probably number one, their character and the work that they do on their heart to be able to uh, lead us into worship. We don't see so much of the time. Uh, and of course, all the hours of practice and all the tears shed over wrong notes and cables that got forgotten and, you know, that story. But um, man, they, these these men and women have a lot of character to do what they do and have been in the trenches with the Lord. And I'm grateful for just their hard work and investment in, in the gifts that God's given them and, and then how they pour that out for us in our, in our region. Oh, 
Are you guys tired hitting a tiny little wall? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> you're just you're just in denial, Rob Morgan. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm uh, this is so much fun. I love Phil talking about how it felt like we'd been here for many weeks last night. I was like, man, it sure does. That was, that was Phil was in rare form last night, wasn't he? He was pretty funny. Um, I just, I'm so thankful. I just want to thank you one more time for being, being at Green Lake and all the things you pushed through to make it a priority year after year. And I really, really trust that God met you in a unique way and that you experienced him and some great relationship with other people. And I hope that you're leaving. Uh, I never, uh, I always tell people in our church, you should never walk in and leave the same. You should never walk in and out and be the same. You should always have had an, an experience with God and others that changes you. And so I hope you're changed. I hope you've seen uh, what God has given you and that you can keep celebrating that and share it with other people as you leave. Um, just really quickly, when you leave, there are at the door a place to deposit your lanyards and your little name tag things, if you wouldn't mind giving those back to us. Uh, we appreciate that. And then, um, oddly, we have cases of Oreos that we brought to this event, and I'm trying desperately not to have to take them back to Duluth. So I put the Oreos by the door. There's some odd kind of little funny plastic bags that I've just found. I think they're garbage bags, but (laughs) um, grab a bag, fill it with Oreos, take them with you on the road, please, because I love you and you love Oreos. And uh, secondly, I wanted to say that, um, guess how many spots are left for the Multiply Vineyard Summit in Miami? Twelve spots are left. (laughs) And this is not in our announcements, but Michael hijacks us on the way up to do announcements and makes us announce this again and give you the countdown. So last night there were 20 spots, now there's 12 spots left in the... B&B, the Airbnb, the VRBO, whatever uh, initials you want, the the house, in the big houses. So if you want to be in the Big Brother house, the Multiply Vineyard Big Brother house, um, it's all you have to do is register, but then you have to let Michael know because he has to, like, he could oversell this thing like most airlines and then have to give somebody a $500 certificate for the next Multiply Vineyard thing if they'll get off the boat. So... Um, you need to let him know. And so Michael's phone number is 218-393-6655. Call him for anything. Um, And then also I just wanted to invite all of you ladies to our uh, annual regional women's conference called Engaging in the Kingdom. Yes. Um, we really do love this event for all kinds of reasons, um, one of them being there's no men in the room. Um, and, <laughs> and uniquely, God just does things, and women, you know, like, tend to let their guard down, and uh, there's a sort of a, an abandonment sometimes uh, when we just gather as women. And so it's a really, really exciting time, uh, and it's happening April 4th through the 6th this year. Um, and then our speakers are Danielle Pathick. She's a spiritual formation pastor at Mile High Vineyard, great friend of mine. I've asked her to come a few times, and I'm really excited that she said yes. And then she's also bringing a staff pastor, Becca Knutson, from Mile High Vineyard with her, and they're going to share the speaking role. Two women who have uh, really, really 
gone to great lengths to become the women that God has always had in mind for them to be. And I know sharing your journey, their journey with you and, and will be inspiring and, and hopeful. And I'm super excited about them coming to Duluth. So engaging in the kingdom. And then also I want to have you save the date. And this is, I think we've had some pre-service slides. You're getting some emails. So read your emails about saving the date for the 2019 National Conference. Um, And there's this new twist this year. There's actually going to be two conferences, um, both of them kind of centrally located uh, in Dayton, Ohio, and then also in Denver, Colorado. Which one are you going to, Rob Morgan? (laughs) because <laughs> it's like really close to you. Your travel budget will be spared nicely uh, for this one. But that's the idea is that most of us could maybe drive to one or the other because it's a little closer to us than, you know, having something on the West Coast where everybody has to go clear from the East Coast to the West Coast to get to it. So a lot of this is very strategic and trying to make them more accessible and even more affordable for a lot of local churches. And so we're really hoping that this is kind of a, we're going to try it. It's just a sort of an experiment, see how it goes. And um, it'll be a little bit more intimate in each setting. There'll be the exact same speakers. Uh, There'll be different worship teams based on geographical areas and who, you know, is available and um, some different kind of breakout sessions and panel speakers and, and uh, but the keynote speakers will all be the same. So, um, You'll probably see some registration stuff coming out the first of the year. Um, and you're going to get an invitation to participate in sort of um, sowing and tilling and watering the ground leading up to the national conference about this Holy Spirit. And so the national office, and uh, we've kind of been strategically thinking about what would be helpful to our pastors and our, our churches to help them begin to, you know, be, get hungry in the five months leading up to it. So we're not trying to convince them when they, you know, come to the conference that they should be hungry. But we'll send some things out. You'll get some little videos and some uh, different things that you can do with staff, with leaders, with your whole church. Um, about twice a month in January, February, March, and April, May. And it's all just sort of to like till the ground and, and to water the soil so that we're really, really uh, quick and easy to give our heart over to the Holy Spirit, you know, when we start to worship at our, at our event. Uh, so look for those like uh, up on-ramping, I call it, or, or upcoming things that will be coming your way to, um, to try to just encourage folks to lean in lean in and have a posture of um, receiving for the national conference. And then when we get together, I think we'll have um, a really, really, really phenomenal experience because we've done some of that pre-work as leaders. Um, All right. So I'd like to invite Rob to come and I want to thank Rob to come and Pat, get off the stage. This isn't in my script. It's not in the script, but we thought it would be important just to take a moment and thank Brenda for all she's done, not just for this event, but for her love and her leadership, all the way she models everything we want to be. So thank you, Brenda. Thank you, guys. It really, really is my privilege to, um, to serve you guys, and I look forward to more to come. And I look forward to more to come from Rob Uh, And I thank you, Rob, for making um, room in your life for us. 
and uh, this region and all that you're depositing. And thanks for just being with us the last couple of days. It's been fun. And so, Lord, bless him, fill him, and uh, pour him out again. We just receive it in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Man, you guys are fun. You really are. And let me just try to sway you on your national conference choice. (laughs) Denver, Colorado has what? Like Rocky Mountains. Elevation is really high. Hard to breathe. (laughs) Dayton has the International Flight Museum. It's the birthplace of the Wright brothers. Did I say the Wright brothers? Who flew here? Who flew here? I did. You would not have arrived here if you were me without the legacy of the Wright brothers. So if you're trying to pick between Denver and Dayton, International Flight Museum is in Dayton, Ohio. Did I mention that I'm from Ohio? Uh, I want to try and do two things this, this last session with you guys. And man, it has just been a joy to be with you. I have felt welcomed. Um, you guys are, are kind. Uh, there are other parts of the country where kindness doesn't come so quickly or so easily. Uh, I grew up on the East Coast. And so uh, that sometimes is, is not the experience of, of people who... Uh, who who are strangers to you. So thank you very much for your welcome. Thank you, Brenda, for your invitation, um, leadership team, for all your hard work. I know we, we thank Brenda, and, and Brenda thank those behind the scenes, but could, could we just once again, because it's important to be a culture of honor, thank all those who made this work. So in your kindest of ways, I was accosted over the last 24 hours. I did not close the loop on the story about my daughter. Right? How many of you have been angry with me, wondering, well, what happened? I will take just a few minutes to close the loop on that, then I want to move into the next thing. So as I shared with you, my daughter went through this experience of kind of uh, anxiety-induced uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and it led to a tremendously difficult and debilitating season for us for six months. Um, it reached a point of climax where uh, my daughter had lost about 20 pounds, and we had made a decision that we would uh, have to put her into a hospital or into some sort of intervention care. Uh, she reached 80 pounds. And uh, we were weighing her every other day, and uh, I was with her uh, when she got out of the shower one morning, and she stepped on the scale, and she was 80.5 pounds. And man, I just broke. As a dad who had for a long time, over those six months, tried to figure out how I could fix it, I fell to the floor in the bathroom, and I was just a wreck. And I turned to her, and I think in a moment of, of divine mercy, the Lord through me, and to me, as I heard I, myself say this, I said, honey, I cannot fix this for you. I cannot fix this for you. And I think for me, and maybe this is true for some of you, maybe there's just a word for some of you, that was probably the first time in my life I ever actually believed the sentence, I can't fix this for you. I, I've been relatively successful in life, relatively strong in my character, in my discipline, goals I've set for myself, I've achieved. And some of that was certainly well before I came to faith. And so... Um, conquering, winning, being strong for somebody, fixing a problem, uh, not just the men in the room, but for some of us and many of us in this caregiving, mercy extension ministry we're a part of, we try to fix stuff, don't we? We empathize and we feel and we lean into the mess of people's lives and sometimes we 
get a little codependent. Anyone? If you aren't raising your hand, maybe turn to your spouse and say, do I ever tend towards... Now, you guys are healthier in this region. You've done all the good work of gospel of wholeness and soul care and all that good stuff. But for me, it, it broke in me. And I just looked at my daughter and I said, this is, this, this is you choosing the life that you have imagined. And it needs to start by you going downstairs and eating something. And she went downstairs and she made a sandwich, ate, and uh, radically and immediately began to own her own health and her own healing. And, um, you know, I, I think it would have been enough of a testimony if I had said we got our daughter back. We, we didn't get our daughter back. We got a redeemed version of our daughter that we had only imagined could happen as she began to walk into the empowerment of her own life. And so if you met my daughter today, uh, you would not think anxiety was an issue for her in any way, shape, or form because she began to understand the power that she had and her identity in Christ and who God had rooted her to be. And, and mom and dad didn't have to fix it because she had a savior. And mom and dad didn't have to be the helper because she has a helper. And mom and dad are still nurturing and supportive and kind, but we are not her God. And God met her in a powerful way and it shaped her. So that's the, they close the loop on that story. Is that helpful? All right, cool. Uh, but man, I, like I said, it has been fun to be with you. Um, and I had a thought when I, when I arrived that God wanted to, to do a little bit of an impartation to the entirety of the group. Um, and as I've been with you, man, I, I, was ha- I was fortunate I sat for uh, four hours yesterday afternoon and did some prophetic ministry with a number of you, and it was, man, it was beautiful. Beautiful to see that room just revolve with people who want to hear God's voice and to see prayer teams of people who are committed to listen. And uh, I'll be honest, I was exhausted in my in my confession, there were a couple times where I was like, I think I could just make up a prayer. <laughs> I have a picture of a mountain. <laughs> Are there any obstacles in your life? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> You're about 50, you got any back pain? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. But I was tempted in a few moments because as an introvert just coming off of a conference in South America where your brain has to work double time to learn the English and the Spanish at the same time. But man, it was beautiful to just hear God speak over so many of you. And it reminded me of what I think he asked me to to be mindful of. And I'm not going to do what I planned because I think there's another way to approach this this morning. So hopefully you'll you'll have grace on me if it fails. but I want to read over us a passage and then pray over us a prayer, and then I just want to share a little bit. And then, um, if you'd be willing, I'm going to ask you to do something uh, together this morning, a little bit of an exercise to, before we move into a time of ministry. So I'm going to try and be brief in order to make all that space possible. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 51 over us. Uh, you don't have to turn there. You can close your eyes. I'm going to read this slowly. And so please just feel free to, to listen to God's word and uh, hear what it has to say to you and to me this morning. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin has always been before me. 
Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, for you are my Savior. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And so my prayer for us this morning is that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. joy of your salvation. I ask this in your beautiful, your powerful, your wonderful and merciful name, Jesus. And all God's children say, amen. I, uh, I did not grow up in the church. Um, I grew up in a, a loving home. My parents, as I mentioned, were from the suburbs of Elmhurst. I met Rick, who is from Elmhurst, who went to high school with one of my cousins. Um, that's a strange connection in Green Lake, Wisconsin. And uh, my parents uh, were kind of maturing into uh, adulthood in the 60s and, and early 70s, and so they were kind of on the fringe of the hippie movement. My dad went to Yale. Uh, both my parents grew up in, in strong Catholic homes and devout Catholic homes, and specifically in my dad's house, uh, his kind of religious framework was, God saw what you did. Be careful, be disciplined, do good, because God sees what you do. And so for him, his framework of God was as a disciplinarian high in the sky, usually upset, usually disappointed. And so when my parents uh, graduated uh, college, they ended up dating at a distance. They got married after their sophomore years. They moved to Connecticut. My dad went to Yale and uh, was kind of part of that just just the, the peace, love, and no war. And an exploratory season, and my parents had my older brother uh, graduation weekend and me a few years later. And as I mentioned, they were, they were nurturing. Uh, I grew up in a loving home. My parents were present all the time. There was, there was fighting and there was discord between them, but their, their relationship towards my brother and I was incredibly kind, but they were uh, permissive, to say it best. And so... Loving contexts are great, 
but we had no compass. We didn't do Christmas. We didn't do Easter. We did them secularly, but we didn't attend church. We didn't tell the story of God's interaction with the world. And so I had no framework. Uh, I would have said Christmas was you know, celebrating the birth of Jesus, but that would have been about as much as I could have articulated. And so uh, my parents encouraging us to think big thoughts and consider the world and all the ways that it works, they let us explore. They let us think about the things we wanted to do and the passions we wanted to, to, to kind of uh, pursue. And for me, it was athletics. And for my brother, it was athletics. And then it was also some arts. And so there was a lot of things that we were encouraged to do. But if you think about kind of the way that that might lead a young adult into some behavior, um, I had free reign. I, I learned young that if I told 80% of the truth, I could get away with a lot. That if I told where I was going and gave the phone number of the parents where I was going and that we would stay there overnight and just leave out the fact that we would leave at 1 in the morning and go out for a few hours and come back at 4 in the morning, my parents trusted me. And so that framework allowed for tremendous opportunity. So without really knowing what I was trying to do and realizing that there was something about pursuing happiness and joy and good feelings, uh, I started drinking when I was 12, started smoking weed when I was 13, and uh, began sexual relationships when I was 14. And so, again, if you know your own maturation, that doesn't necessarily breed anything other than corruption and brokenness. And so by the time I graduated high school... Uh, I, was, I was a regular drinker multiple days a week. I had, had been with uh, multiple girls and, and did drugs uh, recreationally, but, but frequently. Except at the same time, I was also a really good student and a really good athlete. And so I was a National Honor Society student. I was a three-sport varsity athlete, and I was recruited Division I in all three sports because of the athletic climate of my school. Uh, but I didn't like who I was. I didn't like the things that I was doing. I didn't like the way I treated people. I didn't like the way I thought about myself or treated myself. I had this awareness that this behavior was leading towards bankruptcy if I wasn't already bankrupt. And um, I made a decision that I would apply to colleges, and I drew a 600-mile semicircle around my hometown and said, I'm going to apply far enough away that I can leave this life behind. That's a, that's a pretty intelligent thought for a young person. Like, I don't like who I am, and I don't like who I am in this context, so I'm going to leave the context. So I drew a 600-mile semicircle, and I applied to colleges in the South and in the Midwest and in California. I was recruited to a variety of schools, and I made some weird little internal vow that I would go to the college that was the highest level of athletic competition. And so Ohio State recruited me, and it was Division I, and it was Big Ten, and so it wasn't really for much other than that so that I chose to go to Ohio State. And door-to-door -door, Ohio State was 606 miles from my home. So I honored my commitment. And when I left Connecticut, which is where I was from, when I left Connecticut, I had a very clear thought that I'm going to start over, that I'm going to do things differently, that this felt like an opportunity of a, a clean slate and a moment to kind of choose a different sort of being. And so when I moved to Ohio State, I had the intent of kind of righting some of the wrongs that I knew that were happening in my life. But when I got to Ohio State, uh, there's, there's beer, and there's drugs, and there's women. And what I realized very quickly was the thing I was running from was not outside of me, but was inside of me. That the thing that I was trying to flee went with me. And very quickly, the same behaviors kicked in. And as an underage uh, campus uh, student, I knew where I could buy 
Uh, I knew the, 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 the ways to access drugs. Um, soccer, if you're familiar, is kind of a, a, there's a little bit of a drug culture in the sport of soccer in America, especially in suburban America. His parents make note of that. Um, and very quickly, the same behaviors, but, but, but mostly recreational, and I mean that in whatever way, it's not an excuse, it's just it was, it was for fun, it was to party, it was to spend time, it was to fill the void, it was to experience things and to try new things and to have experiences that felt good even if I knew they were short-lived and if in the morning I wouldn't. And I experienced college much like this, that on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night I would go out and I would drink to the point of getting sick or blacking out and I'd wake up in the morning and say, I'm never gonna do that again. And amazingly, two days later, or a week later, it was a really good stretch, a month later, the same sort of thing would pop up in the same instances and the same events. And uh, my, my sophomore year of college, I, I met a young lady, and we began a very serious relationship. And uh, we talked about kind of a forever dynamic. I mean, we used marriage, but we were young enough to not really understand what we were actually talking about, but we were together all the time, and um, as you could imagine, because of the dynamic of my life and the relationships I was in, uh, this young lady got pregnant in the middle of my junior year of, of college, I'm sorry, the senior year of college. And I was excited. I was incredibly excited. And I began to think about dropping out of college, which doesn't sound like, like an exciting decision, but, but I had this, this real sense of, of joy. And... Um, I began to think about how do I finish my semester, my senior year of, of, of soccer, and then drop out and begin to, to create a family and start a life. And about four weeks after we found out, she came to me and she said, I cannot do this. I cannot have this child. This is not in my plan. This is not in the timing. And um, without any moral compass, without any rock to stand on, without any sense of convictions, what I knew to be in my heart, something that I was excited about, that I wanted that I knew would be right, and she said, we can't keep this child and I don't want to have this baby, I remained silent. You know, if you're familiar with kind of the story of culture, it is a woman's right to choose, and it's her body, and if you want to be a supportive man, you just be present, but be silent, and this is her choice, and that's what I knew, and so that's what I did. On October 14th of 1994, we went to a clinic in Columbus and uh, aborted our child, and something in me broke. Something in me snapped. And my recreational behavior became medicinal. It became a coping mechanism to deal with pain and guilt and shame. And I was lost. And so my habits became, I was a two-pack-a-day smoker and a 12-pack-a-day drinker. And this was an everyday circumstance. I had places that I could go and the bar closed at 2, but they let me sit until 4, and when their staff was done cleaning up, somebody would drive me home. Well, I graduated college, and this woman and I stayed together, and, and in some weird narrative, I thought, well, we can make this better by getting married. And so we got married. And, uh, you know, it's not wise to compound a bad decision with another bad decision with another bad decision, but that was sort of what my life had become, and so... I uh, married, uh, and uh, within a few months, I found out she had been having an affair with one of my groomsmen from my wedding. We separated. Uh, 18 months later, we got divorced. And so I'm 25 years old, and this is 
the resume of life for me right now. I was living in this apartment in Columbus, and I had a Rottweiler. You ever try to find an apartment with a Rottweiler? <laughs> it's hard to find an apartment with a Rottweiler. Those are the, like, there's like three dogs on the list. Pitbull, Chow, Rottweiler. If you got one of those, you don't get an apartment. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just nod. It's okay. So I had this Rottweiler. So I called this one landlord. It was getting to the point where I had to leave the house. My wife and I separated. We were renting this place. We'd committed to move out. And so I had to find this apartment. And um, this guy says, yeah, you can come take a look. Yeah, Rottweiler's fine. He goes, but hey, when you come check out the apartment, bring a flashlight because there's no electricity right now. I'll get it turned on if you sign the lease. I'm like, all right, sure. So I come in with this little dinky flashlight, shine the light around. I'm like, I'll take it. One-bedroom apartment. And... Uh, I move in, no sooner than I turn the lights on as the electricity comes, I begin to see things scurry off into the corners. Yeah, those are cockroaches. And a few weeks after living there, I came into the shower one morning, and my, my bathtub was filled with muck about four inches deep. Yeah, right? This is my life. <laughs> and... Uh, the way that the, the water drained from this four-bedroom or four-apartments, kind of it all could accumulate in my bathtub. Well, I had a real job at this point. I had to get ready in the morning. And I didn't have much self-esteem or much confidence in anything, so I would step into the bathtub, shower, step out. Yeah, right? That kid is hearing this going, what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> And then I'd put my feet on the edge of the bathtub and I'd scrub my feet, not knowing what I was actually standing there. And I'd go to work, and I'd come home, and I'd go to a bar, and I would drink, and I would drink, and I would drink. And I had, at the time, what I thought was just a really nice boss, but I didn't realize was she was a believer. And she could tell there was something significant happening in my life. And she would let me come into work hungover. And she would say, go into your office, close the door, lay on the floor, and just take a couple hours and get your stuff together. And I traveled for her. I worked in the trade show industry. And so I would travel from city to city helping clients set up and dismantle their trade show display. So I'd go somewhere and work for two days, have two days off, and then work for two days. But they kept me on site. I had a per diem, uh, which even back in the day was a lot. It was about $150, and so I would travel, and I would essentially eat McDonald's and drink gin and tonics on $150 a day. So I'd check into my hotel. I'd sit at the bar. I would drink my gin and tonics. I'd go to work. I'd get McDonald's. I'd go back and spend the other $145 on gin and tonics and do this over the course of seven or eight days. Tangeray and tonic, if you're wondering. Uh, you probably weren't wondering. And so I went to California on a business trip. And I was supposed to go to San Diego and stay at a hotel right next to the convention center. I would fly, take a taxi to the hotel. I'd walk to the convention center. I didn't want to have to worry about a cab. And there was no Ubers back in the day. Uh, there was barely even internet. And so uh, it was just, this was my pattern. And so I go to this hotel in San Diego, and I check in. And the first night I'm there, I go to the, to the uh, hotel bar. And um, I was really actually frustrated because this hotel was not close to the convention center. It was blocks and blocks away. It was still walkable, but it was inconvenient in my mind. And so I pull up to the bar, and I'm not happy. 
do my thing, and I, I hear this conversation at the other end of the bar, and I turn down, and it's a couple of people, and they seem to be familiar with each other. We began having a conversation really casually. I go back to my room, wake up the next day, go to work, come back to the hotel, and the woman on my side of the bar is now the bartender. And she just begins a conversation, as bartenders are encouraged to do. And so we talk that evening, go back to my room, next morning, go to work, third day, go to the bar, and it's a night where the bar's empty. And her boss comes out and she says, he says, hey, you know what, it's a dead night, you can do whatever you want. Why don't you take off early? And we had a great conversation. I had a degree in fine arts and she was a theater major, so there were just some things we had in common. And so uh, I said, listen, I've I, not been to San Diego before, would you want to hang out tonight? And she said, yes. So as we we're leaving the bar, she turns to me and she goes, just so you know, I'm a born-again Christian. And I said, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> she said, well, you're not going to get lucky tonight. I said, all right. I said, really? I said, I get that. I said, I'm okay. I said, honestly, I'm just, I just would like to hang out. And so we end up pulling up to this little sidewalk cafe in the Gaslamp District of San Diego, if you're familiar. It's near the convention center. And um, within a few minutes, she's talking to me about Jesus. And she's talking to me about Jesus as if she knows him, as if he is real, and as if she has encountered him in ways that are profound and life-changing, and I was captivated, but I was also really nervous because I knew who I was, and I had an assumption about what it was like to relate to God, and again, I knew who I was, and I knew the things that I had done actively and complicitly, and so as we hung out, she began to talk and it's the good news of Jesus and love and mercy and forgiveness and love and mercy and forgiveness. I was like, this is too good to be true and if it's true, it's too good to be for somebody like me. And uh, we closed down that restaurant. It's two in the morning and I said, listen, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what you're saying. Can we talk more? And so we ended up finding a, a, a convenience store. We bought a, a six-pack of beer. We sat on the beach in La Jolla, California. And we, we, sh we had until 7 in the morning conversation around the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And I began talking about the things in my life that I had done and experienced. I said, you know, I'm sort of like a habitual liar. I don't tell the truth very often. She's like, well, that's what forgiveness is for. And those are the things that God has accomplished on the cross and extending forgiveness. And I was like, really? I was like, well, I'm I'm divorced. And it, as the night went on, it just sort of, I started what I refer to as like spiritual vomit. Some of us have seen that. Some of us have done that. Not like a deliverance moment. That's a different sort of spiritual vomit. But where you, you're in a moment where you realize that God is drawing from you the very darkness that the enemy has used to keep you in hiding. And so I drop, we leave at 7 in the morning I drop her off at her apartment. We had a plan to hang out that day. I go back to my hotel room. I call my boss in Ohio, and I say, listen, I need to take a day off. I need to sort some things out. Something significant is happening, and I need to sort some things out. And she says to me, you, you can't take a You're like, at work. <laughs> and I said, well, then I quit. And she said, well, why don't you take a day off? <laughs> and so uh, we had made a plan to go to the San Diego Zoo. Has anyone ever been to the San Diego Zoo? It's an amazing zoo. 
We hung out for 10 hours. I do not remember seeing an animal. I swear to you, I do not remember seeing a single animal. We talked, we walked from display to display, and Jesus, mercy, grace, love, kindness, acceptance, forgiveness. And I was, I was just struck, captured. We didn't hang out one day, come to find out. She said, I have this thing tonight. I was like, oh, can I come? She goes, no, it's kinship. You're not ready for kinship. <laughs> it's like, all right. We hung out one more time, and then we had our last day together, and we're, 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 we decided we'd have dinner. We went to this little uh, kind of like Irish pub, and, um, you know, I was a heavy drinker, and uh, uh, sadly for this woman, and I don't want to share all of her story, but sort of her besetting sin and her habitual disobedience was still to drink considerably. Um, and I know, I know we have a, a, a moderation understanding of, of, of the way we use the things that God has given us in this world, but for her it was still a struggle. And so not knowing that, all of our conversation happened in a venue and around things that were uh, convenient for me. And so we sat there at this, this Irish pub and we're drinking, and we ended up joining tables with two gentlemen who were there. Uh, and come to find out they were actually homeless, and they were uh, by choice choosing to live on the streets in San Diego. Um, and so we ended up sitting together, and I was across from this young lady, and these two gentlemen were kind of sitting across from each other, and one of the gentlemen's name was Norm, and one's uh, name was Bob. And the conversation is just casual and free-flowing, and then she looks at, at Norm, and she says, Norm, I have a question for you. And he says, what's your question? And she says, when's the last time you've seen your daughter? Now, our, our discussion had nothing to do with his family. And he says, what are you talking about? And she said, Norm, I think I just heard something from God. And I think this is a moment for you to maybe address some things in your life. And when is the last time that you've seen your daughter? And he just begins to cry. And after a little while, he says, it's, it's been 14 years since I've seen my daughter, and her birthday was yesterday. He says, how did you know? And she just leaned in in this beautifully kind way. And she said, Norm, I think... I think God is here for you right now. I think he's aware of everything that you've ever done, every mistake you've ever made, and I think he is extending a hand of mercy to you right now. I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> this is crazy. I don't know if you've ever driven on a really hot summer's day and you see kind of out in the horizon and the, the ground looks liquid and fluid. You know, that kind of, the way I described the experience was there was a moment where I sort of saw this fluidity in the air, and it felt conflictual. It felt like there was a conflict, and, and it just seemed like there was something happening in the atmosphere. And I remember that, and I didn't have any context for that. I just remember thinking that. Well, the conversation ebbed and flowed again, and about 30 minutes later, she looks at Norm, and she says, Norm, I have another question for you. And he says, what, did your God speak to you again? And she goes, he did, and he got serious. And she said, Norm, uh, when is the last time you killed someone? And he looked at her dead serious. He said, you need to shut up. He said, you need to shut the up. And she, in boldness and power, leaned in and she said, Norm, this is a moment. He has seen everything you have ever done. Everything. 
and he's here, and he's extending a hand, and he wants you to know he loves you. And he came to tell us that he had been a hitman in the mob on the East Coast, and 14 years earlier had fled that life because he could not live it and could not handle the guilt and the shame and the power of that and abandoned his family and chose to live homeless to be off the grid so he could never be found. Well, as we had done earlier, we closed that bar down, and these two homeless gentlemen said, we have buried some beer in a bush. Do you guys want to have a nightcap? (laughs) And if ever you get that invitation, the answer is always yes. (laughs) Unless you struggle with alcohol. So we went down to, if you've been to San Diego, there's a park by the harbor, and it is where quite a few homeless people live. And so, sure enough, uh, and I mean this sincerely, guys, it was, it was Milwaukee's best. I mean, it was from the region. I'm some, I mean, I remember details from that night. And so we talk, and we're, we're laughing, and, you know, it was, it was still casual. And then at a certain point, I felt drawn away from the conversation, and I, I just kind of walked maybe, maybe 50 feet away and... Um, And I looked up, because I thought that's what you should do. That's where he is, right? He's up. And I looked up, and I said, God, I have not done my life well. And if this is true, you can have all of it. And I felt like the Lord spoke back to me. It's okay, Rob. Now you know the truth. And I had this exchange in that moment of grace and mercy And this guilt and heaviness that I had experienced lifted in a way that I could never have imagined was possible. I never could have imagined it was possible. Nobody led me through a prayer. I didn't know about the ABCs of accept, believe, confess. And at 2.30 in the morning in San Diego, God called me home. And later that night, went back to my hotel, packed up my stuff, caught a flight back to Columbus. The only thing I knew about this woman, when she said she was in a kinship, I was like, I never heard that word. She said, yeah, I go to a church called a vineyard. I was like, I never heard of a church called a vineyard. So I got home and opened up the yellow pages. (laughs) Dating myself just a little bit. (laughs) Opened up the yellow pages and flipped through to the church section, which is maybe even in the blue pages at that point. And uh, the biggest advertisement in non-denominational churches was for Vineyard Columbus. And so I called the number from my landline, (laughs) got their answering machine, and it said, we have services at 9 and 11, young adult service at 7. I walked in the door of Vineyard Columbus that morning at 9 o'clock, and I felt like I had come home. And I walked into a room about this size, maybe with a few more people in it, because it was right when Vineyard Columbus was right around 2,500 folks. And I saw people with their hands raised and with emotion and with reverence in their heart. And I thought to myself, if God is as big as I experienced there, then this is the right sort of demonstration. Now, I don't mean the demonstrative dynamic. I mean the, rev, the, the holiness of a worship moment with God's presence in the room. 
and the freedom to express our affection, our kindness, our gratefulness. And so I stayed for the 9 o'clock service and then for the 11 o'clock service, and they had a newcomer's class. I stayed for that and had lunch. And then I heard they had this thing called Joshua House, so I stayed for that too. So I'd never been to church before, and then I stayed for 11 hours. (laughs) And it didn't feel like enough. It didn't feel like enough. And like a week later, I was sitting out front, and I was still a two-pack-a-day smoker, a 12-pack-a-day drinker. There were things I was aware that God had done and things I did not understand that he would do. So I'm sitting out front of Vineyard Columbus smoking a cigarette, and this guy comes over to me, and he says, hey, man, you should come to my small group. I'm like, what's a small group? He's like, we hang out, we do this thing. I go, oh, like that kinship that that woman went to. I guess I'm ready for that now. <laughs> so, so it was in my neighborhood. The one he had invited me to was in my neighborhood, and uh, I was training for a cross-country bicycling trip, still as a two-pack-a-day smoker. (laughs) So I thought, you know, I'll ride my bike there. I got on my bike Wednesday night, knew the address, rode to this small group, and I knew where the address was, and I saw the house, and I rode right past it. I was worried, and I was nervous, and I was scared. I got to the corner of the next intersection. I turned around. I was like, you can do this, Rob. Drove past the house again. (laughs) Hit the corner one more time, turned around. I was like, you need this. You can do this. And so I rode my bike up to the house. I knocked on the front door. This pre-hipster hipster hipster opened the door. I said, yeah, this guy Josh invited me to this small group. He's like, Josh doesn't come to this small group. Damn you, Josh. (laughs) I walked in the door, and there were 25 people right around my age, 21, 22, 23, sitting in a circle. I remember clear as day after worship, which I knew none of the songs. This guy opens up the Bible and says, we're going to take a look at the passage in Romans chapter 8. And this other woman, who some of you know, Noelle Shear, she was in that small group. Uh, she's at Denver. She's a campus pastor, a East Vineyard pastor at Mile High Vineyard. And at one, point, at one point in the study, she said, you know, that reminds me of a passage in Philippians. And I was like, what? How, how do you know that? How do you know there's something about Philippians? And I don't know about Paul. I don't know, about, I don't know anything. I'm sitting there. And I'm like, these people are serious. They're like, no joke. And I prayed this prayer. I don't even know if I would have called it a prayer. I just said, it would be good to know somebody in this room be good for me to know somebody. And as the Bible study is coming to an end, the door opens up and this group of people come in and I look across the room and there's this woman that I used to work with at a restaurant. She sees me across the room and she goes, what are you doing here? (laughs) 
which just by way of like assimilation tactics, <laughs> thumbs down on that one. And just in general, when somebody like shares a dream with you, don't act surprised that God's given them a dream. Don't be like, you really? Plant a church? That pokes at people's insecurities. She came over, she said, what are you doing here? I said, I have had a profound experience with God, and I don't know my head from my, I don't know head from tails, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here. Well, they went out after small group, and they went out to a bar, and they invited me to go with them, and they hung out for like one beer. I stayed for another five. Again, be sensitive to the people that you're ministering to and that you don't know. Ask a question. Is it okay if I have a drink? Let them say no. And then don't have a drink. That's a little side bonus. That's free. And over the course of the next few weeks and months and years, God has done something uh, so beautiful and so profound. And I still know there's so much work for him to do in my life. And I think that's one of the things I just want to offer us this morning is as I have experienced in my own life and I've experienced as I've led and, and, and cared for pastors is, is we have this tendency to think that we should be better off than we are or we should be further along than we are. And maybe in certain circumstances that, that's true. And I don't want to dismiss or minimize the struggles that need to be dealt with. But I've also experienced a tendency for that mindset to steal us of joy. There's a joy to be restored from our awareness of his saving work in our lives. The God of the universe, lean down into your story and mine. And with love and affection and mercy and kindness said, come home, come home, come home. And so many of us know that that moment was filled or that process or that experience, no matter what yours was like, maybe as dramatic, maybe not as dramatic, but certainly no less significant, certainly no less significant that God said to you, to you, come home. And I just wonder if we don't spend enough time reflecting on the saving grace of God. There's a sanctifying grace that we're aware of, right? And that's the work that is to be done ongoing as we become Christ-like and formed like him. But it starts with the same mercy and grace that carries the same process all the way through. Right? The same grace that was extended to save you is the same grace extended to sanctify you. Remember and restore in us, God, the joy of our salvation. Now, here's what I would imagine. I think you're maybe encouraged that God did a work in someone, that God reached down from heaven and drew someone in, and he did that for each one of us. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do, and I need you to participate. Don't shortcut the moment. I want you to find somebody you don't know. Pair up with somebody you don't know. And tell them how you came to faith in Jesus. Tell them your story. I'll time it seven minutes and switch seven minutes for the other. So maybe a little briefer than the details I've offered you. 
But pair up with somebody you don't know. Encourage them by your story. Be encouraged by their story. And then we're going to minister joy into the room. We're going to invite God to restore the joy of our salvation, even in the work of our sanctification, that he would bring joy to the room as we're encouraged by the very many stories of God's good, kind, merciful, grace-filled work in the room. Can we do that together? Are you sure? Don't cheat. Don't go get coffee. If you need to go to the bathroom, I'll give us two minutes to kind of organize, and then through the microphone I'll say... Seven minutes, take one person, gets all the attention. Then it will switch. Seven minutes, somebody else gets all the attention. I'll give you all two minutes to get organized, and then I'll set a timer for seven minutes. you don't have somebody, just raise your hand really tall. If you haven't found a partner yet, raise your hand. And if you don't have somebody to talk to, find somebody. Raise your hands. Make sure you connect. If you don't have somebody, raise your hand really tall. Make sure we connect everybody to everybody. Raise your hand. We got somebody without a partner. Raise their hand. Really? Right there. Oh, look. You guys know each other? I think we're finding some partners. We got people that are looking for partners still? We got a couple people. We can do, we can do boys and girls. That's okay. We believe in a sanctified... Oh, you know each other also. Somebody. Who needs somebody? You got somebody? Who else needs somebody? Oh, right there. John, you got somebody? You got somebody? Oh, John and David. You come talk to me. All right, guys, take seven minutes, and then I'll have a switch, so take the whole time. You get 14 minutes.
All right, that was seven minutes. So for those of you that are sharing, you can begin to transition and then have the other person take seven or eight minutes and they can share their story. So be encouraged, but begin to change the conversation from one to the other at an appropriately sensitive moment.
All right. Again, with appropriate sensitivity to each other's stories, you can begin to settle back in. No, we need one more minute. 60 more seconds. It's yours. while we are getting settled back in, uh, just by show of hands, how many of you are encouraged right now? How many of you are encouraged by the story that was shared with you about somebody else's encounter with God that brought new life and new creation into their heart? So, so let me just offer, this is, this is the only like teaching moment if there's going to be one. Tell your story. Tell your story. When we think about evangelism, what's interesting about the passage that we read, which is Psalm 51, which I'm sure many of you are familiar, is, is David's prayer, David's song, after committing adultery with Bathsheba. What David says is, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and I will teach the transgressors about your mercy. Like David acknowledges that when we become reminded of God's great love and affection and kindness towards us, we actually look out over the lost with a filter that looks like Luke 15, which is understanding the great treasure that God is in pursuit of. The one, the coin, the sheep, the son and the great value that they have because we become reminded of the great value that God sees us with. I love the teaching of John Wimber that I've only seen on YouTube when he talks about the pearl of great price and the treasure buried in the field, and he doesn't say that's the kingdom. He says that's Jesus discovering us, that you are the treasure in the field, and you are the pearl of great price, and God sells everything for you. That's what we are reminded of when we hear and tell our story, when we tell our story and hear other people's stories. And yours doesn't have to be dramatic to be significant. Yours doesn't have to have details similar to mine. My wife has a very different testimony, and it is equally beautiful. Let me just offer this perspective. It is not uncommon for someone to say to me after I share my story, I wish I had a story like you. 
to what I say is, no, you don't. No, you don't. I wouldn't wish the pain I experienced through some of my choices on anybody. The guilt, the self-condemnation, I wouldn't wish that on you. My wife has a story where at five, she knelt in her bedroom with her mom and prayed a prayer and had a spiritual encounter with God that was genuine and sincere. And then at 14, at a Tremors conference at Vineyard Columbus, got wrecked by the Holy Spirit and began leading Bible studies at 11. I'm like, dang, I should have met you earlier. <laughs> Sat with my wife at a coffee shop after I started coming to Joshua House at Vineyard Columbus, and we're sitting at a coffee shop. I said, man, that guy Job had a rough life. She's like, yeah, Job, Job, did, have a kind, Job did have it kind of hard. I'm like, Job? Spelled Job. My name is Rob. All the letters get you to a point of it. My name is now Robe. <laughs> Your story, whatever it is, is beautiful. Yeah. Scriptures say that God is writing living letters through your life and mine to the world to demonstrate his power, goodness, and the truth claims of the cross. Tell your story. Whatever your evangelistic methodology is, if it does not include telling your story, you're missing the most powerful part. Revelations 12, 11, they will overcome, they will triumph, they will have victory through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. Share your story. I have a two-minute version. I have a 30-minute version. I have a 12-minute version. I have a version that just comes because there's power on the story of God intervening in your life on your behalf. Tell your story. Whatever gets you around non-believers, tell your story. Whatever gets you in front of the lost, tell your story. Tell your story from the pulpit. Tell your story to remind people you didn't always know God the way they think you do. The assumptions around your life as a pastor, as a leader, are probably that you did this really, really well for the majority of your time on this earth. And there's a lot of people in your church that have not done their lives very, very, very well for the time that they have been on this earth. And they think, well, you get paid to do this, so you should be good. Tell your story. Tell it frequently. Tell it at your membership class, at your newcomer's breakfast, at your connect lunch. Tell it from the pulpit on Sundays. Encourage people to share their stories at baptism. All the moments that we can bear witness to what God has done in your life and mine. Tell your story. And then just be filled with the joy of your salvation. The joy of his salvation. One of the things that I love uh, that we have done at, at DCV, Delaware City Vineyard, is in our main hallway, uh, we have photographs of every person who's ever been baptized. We have 200 photographs on our wall. So if you walk into DCV, what you see is God meets people, people who look like me, young people, old people. I think we have like nine-year-olds on the wall. We've got a couple of 75-year-olds on the wall. We've got a lot of folks in between. We've got blue hairs, no hairs, gray hairs. Redlocked hair, spiked hair, 
product hair. <laughs> Tell your story and let the power of your testimony bear witness to the power of the cross. And do it with joy. Don't sell it short for what it is. You have been saved by grace for eternity because of his great love. Let's stand and let's minister through the power of the Holy Spirit and see what God is up to. That's like the most hideous sound. Man. I mean, I know you can't do much about it, but holy cow. I love it. Little trumpets? All right. I agree with you. In the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we have testified about your goodness a couple hundred times in the last 20 minutes. To be honored, be glorified, be enthroned, be exalted in this place right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Christ from the grave. The same power. Come. Come. More of your presence right now. More of your presence. More of your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come. Mm. Yeah. Just from the front. He's just moving from the front. Come, Holy Spirit. Just sense the Lord right now. Come. From the front. Just press into the room. Come, Holy Spirit. More of your presence right now. Just let it wash over you like a wave. Just a wave of mercy. A wave of grace. If I had a voice, I'd sing the old school vineyard song right now. Waves of mercy. Waves of grace. Come, Holy Spirit. More. Yeah, just receive right now. Becky, just receive his kindness and his mercy. In Jesus' name, more. More of your presence right now. You might want to sit down first. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. More of your presence. Yeah. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just receive his kindness, David. Lord says to you, you're not his employee, you're his son. He didn't hire you, he adopted you. Come. He didn't hire you. He adopted you. Yeah, just receive that right now. More of your presence right now. Yeah, there it is. Don't fight it. Just let it come. As a son, as a son, treasured. There it is. Yeah. More. More.
come in power right now. It's a restorative power. More of your presence. I heard a word this past week that was for me, but I think it's for some of you in the room. Uh, the Lord didn't come to make leaders. He came to make sons and daughters. There are leaders amidst, uh, amongst his sons and daughters, but he came to make sons and daughters. And so I pray for a spirit of adoption to just flow over the room right now. Come, Lord. Just a spirit of adoption. Remind us that we are your children, beloved by our Father. Your function in the body of Christ is not the same as your identity in the body of Christ. You are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. Come, Holy Spirit, just a wave of, of adoption into the room. And we are secure in you. Come, more. More of your presence right now. More. Just receive it. Let him call you, let him, let him call you his son. Let him call you daughter. Let him call you beloved. A journey from our head to our heart is the hardest and longest journey. Let it come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. More. It's right here. These two ladies in the front. Let's bless you. God's work right now. Come. More. More. Just receive it. Just right now, he's going to put to bed whether you... Uh, are a part of his family or not. He's just saying, yes, you're mine. I claim you. I turn to the left and to the right to the heavenly host. I say, she's mine. And he does so with pride and with joy and with a smile that only dads and moms can ever display when they look at their kids. Yeah, just receive it right there. Just receive that right there. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And now joy. Let your joy come. Let your joy come. The love of God bring joy into the room. We trust you, Lord, right now. We trust you to allow joy to be real and genuine. It's not, as, it's not contrived. It's not fake. We can delight in your saving work in our lives. Restore the joy of our salvation. Let it come. Let it come. Joy and delight. Come, Holy Spirit. And there are some of you that just, we want to experience more joy. You want joy to flow freely from you. Just begin to move towards the front. I just think God is going to do something special up in, in, this, in this place right now for some of you. It's been a long time since you felt joy. You're self-critical. You're critical of your church. There are leaders that don't do enough. There are people that don't give enough. You can't get enough volunteers for kids' ministry. All the things that we're aware of that we can see critically through the eyes. This is the bride of Christ. This is his church. This is his beloved. He loves you. And he loves those folks. And he delights over them. And he has joy for you this morning. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring your joy right now. Come. More. More of your presence. More of your presence. Come. Come. That smiles would come easily. 
Right? You wouldn't put on a false sense of grinding that it'd be okay when someone says, how's it going? You say, it's going really well. It's going really well because God loves me. Because the king of the universe who has all provision at his disposal has poured kindness on me, mercy and grace that you might delight. Come, Holy Spirit, more. Let your joy come right now. Joy, an impartation of joy. Let it come. Let it come. From heaven, a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, come, Holy Spirit, and work your fruit into your family. Produce in us joy. Come, Holy Spirit, more, more, more. Come, come. And for those of you that have been robbed of joy, may the Lord give back to you all of those days. All of those days. Come. May the Lord replenish what has been taken from you and where joy has been stolen from you from the hardships of life. May God restore that right now. Come. Come. Let's just begin to be the church and let's minister to that place for some of these folks where the Lord has stolen joy. Let him bring it back. Let him bring it back in abundance. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, for those of you who have suffered difficulty and loss, for those of you, especially parents and mothers who have maybe had miscarriages or lost children and your joy was broken in that place, let the, joy rest- let the Lord restore those places of joy through the pain and through the difficulty of life where we think we can't experience joy because of our own habits and our sinful behaviors and the resumes that don't match up to the life God has given us. We say joy. Joy. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. More of your presence right now. More of your presence. More of your presence. Yeah, just receive it. Just receive joy. Receive joy. The reason why you don't think you deserve joy, just lay it down at his feet right now. You don't deserve it. He gives it to you. You haven't earned it. You haven't deserved it. It's a gift from God. Joy above your circumstances joy in the midst of hardship and so come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit more more of your presence right now there it is Jake just receive it just let it come let it come and let's just be the rest of the family and let's just begin to see some folks and come and lay hands on and and just speak life into these places speak light into dark places speak joy over a place of sadness. And sometimes for some of us, our sadness has become our identity. The hardship has become our identity. The grind has become our identity. And the Lord says, no, your identity is in Christ. And for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering. And the joy set before him is you. The joy set before him is fellowship with the Father. Your identity is not in how hard and how long you can suffer. Like David, how long, O Lord? Come. 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 Let your presence come. Come. If you're willing to pray or able to pray, just begin to come up and move, and you don't have to know what to speak, but just bless what the Spirit is doing. We're going to have a worship team come and just kind of fill the space. And let's just speak life into this room. Joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord will be my strength. 
joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. More. Now just release it. Just release your joy. Just release your kindness and your mercy. Again, if you are able to pray, feel free to come towards the front. And There's just a bunch of folks who God is meeting with and blessing and just going to pour out gifts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I know we are people of the word, and I do just want to encourage that if you are a tongue speaker, feel free. I want to give us grace. Paul's restraint on tongues is because the church was crazy. He was saying restrain because you're out of control, and I'm not going to describe us as an out-of-control people. So if you are a tongue speaker, if you pray with power, if there's a song that God has put in your heart, just allow for some freedom in that space. And I know what the Bible says, but we have to apply it contextually. And so in this place, come right now, Lord, and sing a song over your church, a spiritual song, release a song of joy, a song of grace, a song of freedom. Come, Holy Spirit.
nothing stays the same. There is still a truth, a truth that still remains. Wherever you will always be, I got on high the Lord in me, the King of all.
the Prince of Peace.